In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. The Lord says, Go into my vineyard, and I will give you what is just. We have in our modern way of speaking a phrase which is often used to refer to life, a very unfortunate one. It has been brewing for many centuries, though. It is an error that began with the Protestant revolt and now has borne fruit in viewing life as a rat race. We find the seed of this already centuries ago. Not long ago, I quoted some lines of this particular poem of an Elizabethan poet who was not a Catholic. He begins his poem thus, O wearisome condition of humanity, born under one law to another bound, vainly begot and yet forbidden vanity, created sick, commanded to be sound. What meaneth nature by these divers laws? Passion and reason, self-division cause. Perhaps the poet who composed this would not have dared to say openly that he was not a Christian. Perhaps, on the contrary, declared that he was. But we find in this thought already which was the basis for Protestant thinking, the basis as well for atheism. The Protestant solution to this was that, of course, humanity is born under one law and bound to another. Human nature is incapable of doing anything that the Christian code requires of it. That is why we have a savior thanks to whose death on the cross, God does not look anymore on our wretched nature, although he does nothing to heal it. After several centuries, though, the idea of the redemption began to fade. and What remained was the idea that humanity could not possibly be expected to live up to the rules of Christianity, which began to seem more and more arbitrary. In fact, we would come to the point of saying not that man had a fallen nature, not that he had a destroyed nature, but simply that human nature was as it was and could never be reconciled with this impossible code of morality. This is where we always find ourselves if we do not have the Catholic doctrine of grace, the doctrine which insists that man's nature is indeed imperfect, it is wounded, but is in the process of being healed, that we are free to cooperate with this grace which enters our souls, heals us, transforms us, transports us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Our faith teaches us, furthermore, that every human being 
has sufficient grace in order to live according to the teachings of our Savior and obtain eternal life. For as we proclaim in the last gospel of every Mass, He was the true light which enlighteneth every man that cometh into this world. And today's gospel reminds us that every man is called to the most sublime dignity by grace. By grace, our sins are not simply covered, not simply ignored. We are called to participate in the work of our salvation. And so, not only are we called to be in this state of grace, we are called to work in it. Go into my vineyard, our Redeemer says, and I will give you what is just. Not enough for our Savior to pull us out of the abyss, to set us in security. He wills that we should work, that we should labor for our salvation. And although at the end of the day, we must acknowledge that we owe all things to him, without the work of grace, we could not move one inch toward our salvation. Yet thanks to grace, thanks to the inexpressible dignity given to us by our redemption, we can at the end of the day say that we have labored, that we have merited a reward. Another objection, however, comes today. Why? Why this spiritual combat? Wouldn't a loving God have created men happy and given them all things necessary to remain happy both in this life and in the next? Christianity, once again, has the answer. He is a loving God, and he did do that. I have heard it said of at least one priest that every year on this Sunday he wishes his flock a happy new year. That is because in one respect at least this is true. It is on this Sunday that the church in her office begins to read from the beginning of the scriptures. She starts again her course which will make its way all the way through the Holy Bible by the close of the year. And so, on this Sunday, we read of the creation of man. But by the time we arrive at Mass, we are greeted by this gloomy introit, Shikum Dederum, the groans of death surround me, the sorrows of hell have encompassed me. In the mysterious words of this introit, we understand that it is the voice of our first father himself, yes, the voice of Adam, whom we hear crying out after the moment of his fall and his expulsion from paradise. But before we begin our spiritual combat, we must remember the truth that we are taught this Sunday, namely 
that it was not meant to be this way. God did begin with us, set in his friendship. He created man in love and established him in grace so that he called him not only from, from the very beginning, not only creature, but also child. We were called from the beginning to be partakers of the divine nature, to be his adopted children. And after enjoying a blessed life here below, to behold him forever in the face with the beatific vision. Our first parents traded this greatest of all truths for what we might call a heresy. For every heresy is a sort of mockery of the truth, always containing, at least in its vocabulary, something of the true teaching. From the very beginning, we human beings were called to be God. We were called to be true partakers of his divinity. The devil, himself cast away from the life of grace forever, offered our first parents another option. Why be like God when you can be like God's? They embraced this created good instead of the eternal, and so lost all the gifts which have been freely given them. And so the justice of God can be most clearly seen in the first fall. But of course now we can anticipate one final objection. Yes, it's all well and good that Adam and Eve should have to suffer the consequences of their personal sin. But all of their descendants as well? Where is the justice in that? Let us not forget to read over the entire passage of the creation and the fall. Let us not forget that after the fall, God immediately promised a redeemer. Grace was lost, but it could be regained by anyone willing to cooperate with it, and along with grace, eternal life. If you pose such an objection, you might as well object to God creating human freedom. Wouldn't it have been a better world if God had created us, not just in grace, but in glory, already reigning with him in heaven. He could have, but he didn't. He created instead a world of angels and men endowed with the awesome and terrifying gift of freedom. It's not a world for cowards, but I'll take it and thank him for it. As we prepare now for the great spiritual combat that awaits us in Lent, let us place ourselves especially under the protection of the Blessed Virgin Mary, whom even our earliest fathers in the Church always saw as our great intercessor 
in the work of our redemption from original and personal sin. That first great doctor of the glories of Mary, St. Irenaeus, proclaims, Mary the Virgin is found obedient, saying, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. Eve was disobedient, for she did not obey when she was at yet as yet a virgin. And even as she did thus become the cause of death, both to herself and to the entire human race, so did Mary, by yielding obedience, become the cause of salvation to herself and to the whole human race. And so it was that the knot of Eve's disobedience was loosed by the obedience of Mary. For what the Virgin Eve had bound fast through unbelief, the Virgin Mary set free through faith. Let us then not recoil from this greatest gift, this gift of human freedom, but heed our Lord's invitation today. Take up the work of our salvation, of cooperation with his grace, and answer his call, go into my vineyard, and I will give you what is just. Amen.